B-Side content represents the opinions of the host and his guests. We acknowledge that some subjects may be sensitive in nature and not suitable for everyone. B-Side content is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or mental health advice. And if you do need physical or mental health guidance, please consult a licensed healthcare professional. Hello, this is Brian with The B-Side, a podcast about dad grief, what it teaches us, and how it can make us better. Welcome back. This is Brian. Uh, Sorry I've been away for a bit. Uh, Holidays got a little crazy and then uh, some bouts of flu running through the house and all that stuff. So, but it's good to be back. I uh, wanted to actually tackle this subject uh, late last year in October. Um, October 1st is our uh, angel anniversary. So it's been seven years since uh, we lost uh, Galia. And um, my wife and I do a lot of reflecting around that time, obviously, as I think a lot of people do when they, when they deal with those those dates. And the conversations tend to run the gamut. We sort of cover all bases. I think we, uh, we do sometimes start with uh, that that kind of tough space of like remembering um, our daughter died on October 1st and um, we, uh, September 30th, it was, I can never, I'll never forget it. It was a Friday. It was 2016. And uh, that was the day they told us they were going to stop treatment and uh, there was nothing else they could do. And uh, so we were just heading into this long weekend of just waiting for her to die, which is, it, it was absolutely in, in, in the early years of our grief, it, we we reflected on that a lot, and it was really hard to kind of get that out of our head. And we still deal with the trauma of like images and stuff of her last days. Um, you know, the, the the treatment really unfortunately destroyed her. So we do go through that, and then we eventually also round back to going through photos and remembering, you know, so much about why we loved her and her her love for the arts and her love for just. Uh, really chasing the day. I mean, she was a very free-spirited kid and uh, we miss it all the time. And you know, these angel anniversaries, like I said, they, it seems like we kind of start in that rough space, but we end up always going back to so much of what we loved about Galia. Then another thing that came to mind for me after uh, digesting all of that was I thought to myself, man, you know, seven years, it's been a bit. And uh, gosh, if I could go back in time, what what would I have told myself in that first year, um, knowing what I know now, like what would I tell myself? And, uh, you know, I think the list started really long, but then I I boiled it down to three things. So uh, I'm going to share those with you today. Um, This, again, this is not intended to be any kind of advice. This is me looking back at myself and my experience in that first year and then also being able to fast forward and use hindsight and all that stuff. So there's, um, while I hope there's something here that can be helpful to other people, um, I'm not licensed. Uh, you know, it's it's not my job to, to give people advice, but this is really just me reflecting back on my experience. And if I could go back in time in that crazy little time machine and say, hey, Brian, remember this. Uh, these are the three things I would say. So, So number one would be expect nothing. And to elaborate on that a little bit further, it would be really forego any expectations of where I should be when. If I were looking back and talking to Brian in year one, it would that would probably be the first one. And the reason I say that is because one of the words I often use if, when I talk about that first year is confusion. And I, 
suspect if you do a little reading and looking around, uh, other people who talk about that first year um, confusion, that that's a word that shows up quite a bit. Um, it's a big one, and it's and it's very very accurate. I was going through such a mental reset um, that my expectations of what should be and what the new normal should be or anything like that. Um, the more I tried to grasp for those things and tried to understand them, the harder it was in that first year. And I found that while counseling efforts were helpful, they also were not. Um, I actually have another podcast I'm working on right now entirely around expectations around um, visiting a counselor. When I look back, I know that there were many days when just getting through today and getting to tomorrow was enough of an achievement. Um, And then I knew there were times when I maybe locked into work a little bit more, or I just kind of focused on something, helping my son with something. Maybe we were working our project together or just taking him somewhere, taking him to, you know, a, a sport sports event or practice or something like that, where I sort of locked into those moments. Those are probably the best. Um, those are probably the best things for me at that time where I was able to kind of let go of expectations and just enjoy a moment as, as, as much as I possibly could. It was I would say the good moments were kind of rare in that first year. But um, when I was able to kind of not forget about the incident, but forget about trying to do something or trying to get better, I noticed in hindsight that things were better. And this is not to say that that was easy. This is me looking back at me. I found that just like many other times in my life, the harder I tried and the more effort I exerted with trying to get somewhere, um, I realized I got there a lot quicker when I kind of let it go and um, just trusted myself that I that I knew enough and that, you know, if I wasn't focusing so much on the steps to get better, that I actually could. Um, and that's not to say that structure isn't important. I think there, there's sort of, sort of some basics there where I, I was able to you know, go through days. I was able to structure a day and and create a work schedule and create schedules where I could be with family, be focused on work and then, you know, disengage and things like that. So, I mean, I would say if there's kind of like a 1A, you know, uh, don't abandon all structures, I would say that to Brian in the first year as well. Um, I've recognized that if I was able to kind of keep with those general structures, and let go of attachment to getting better. Um, that was sort of the, those were the good days, if you will. All right. Thing number two that I would say to myself in my first year of grieving is um, what others say and do can mean everything and nothing. It's actually a phrase that comes up in, in my grief group quite a bit where we say that. I mean, things mean everything and things mean absolutely nothing. It, it's kind of, I guess, what energy we put it put into them. But in that first year, yes, somebody will say something that will absolutely uproot you. Um, it may just be their attitude and the way they said it. Um, it may be just something completely dumb and it could completely uproot you. And at the same time to counterbalance that you may find somebody who can say the, the simplest thing to you or just acknowledge something you said or expressed, and it could be absolutely the weight off your shoulders. And it's, the type of thing that I know in grief groups a lot, we, we tend to talk a lot about this, like, oh my gosh, you know, it, 
so-and-so said this, and I can't believe people say the, these things to grieving parents and, and all that stuff. And there's, there's probably, I'm, one day I'm probably going to create a list of like a hundred idiotic things people say uh, to grieving people in general. But I do believe that a lot of the messaging that I received, it, it really, I mean, where my mental space and where I was at the time when I received it had, it had a hand in the messages effect. I can remember dealing with a lot of guilt in that first year. And there I had this crazy narrative in my head that while my daughter was dealt in an unfortunate genetic hand, that I should have somehow been able to save her life, that I should have made some better decisions when I knew out of the, unfortunately out of the gate, she had, um, a very poor prognosis, about a 25% chance to make it given her the makeup of what her entire diagnosis was. And still I would beat myself up about, you know, Hey, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done something different with the diet. I should have caught something earlier. Da, 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 da. And I mean, I went back to the oncologist to, uh, several times and he, you know, he indicated, he said, no, so it's a genetic shift and it happens in some people and it doesn't happen in others. And we just don't know why. And unfortunately it happens to some of them at a very young age. And, uh, I can remember when I was in that space and grappling with that, that, oh my gosh, if, if I was sort of in this big, like, you know, beat Brian up this morning mode, it, it, it could be anything that anyone says that, that would just, completely slash me. I would feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I would, I would take some things personally and things like that. And I, you know, and then I can also remember there were some situations where I, you know, I have certain friends and relatives that I understand their nature and they, while they mean well, and they, they have a certain, I I don't know if it's like a shallowness to them or anything. They, they, they just kind of view life in terms of like simple pleasures and stuff. And so these are the people in my life that were, they were more like, oh yeah, well you, you getting over it yet. And those statements. And I, I learned, it took me probably beyond that year. But again, if I am reflecting back and talking back to myself, you know, um, it, you learn to kind of build after that year or two, maybe a, a little bit of an understanding of who's who in your life and who's more prone to saying something really stupid. And I think you probably won't be able to use it or execute on it uh, very well in that first year. Um, but I, I think that it does show up, at least it did for me. And if I were to also look back and, and give myself advice, I would say, Brian, pay attention to those super, super hot button issues. I mean, as it relates to that whole cancer thing, I mean, one of the things we had to learn throughout the journey was that while people mean well, um, you know, they'll make just the most flippant statements about cancer. And one thing you learn when you're on one of these journeys that, you know, even if you, you know, like our child had acute myeloid leukemia and it was probably the more, more aggressive, severe ones. And even cases within that that sleeve of leukemia are different, right? Depending on, you know, gen, you know, chromosome abnormalities and things like that and how you treat it and how aggressively you treat it, um, it it's all going to vary. And so cases can differ. And so, you know, people could say um, sometimes, you know, oh yeah, well, my friend had that and he's doing great, you know, and stuff like that would just absolutely upend me. So, I mean, I think if I'm to look back at myself and say, you know, hey, Brian, pay attention to the things that are super, super hot button for you. Um, and, you know, just, I think, uh, try, just be ever so gentle with yourself. And those are situations where you may need to excuse yourself from the conversation. Again, that's me talking to Brian in year one.
All right. So number three is, it's actually the whole reason I got the idea for this podcast. And it runs a little bit counter to number one of letting go of your expectations and expecting nothing. Um, I'm a big proponent of setting goals and then breaking them down into smaller steps. And some people call this like, you know, stacking some people and there's all kinds of tutorials, all kinds of, I mean, self-help gurus get into this stuff all the time. And so I do this a lot, say when I'm working out, I like to do like a lot of interval training. And so I'll, uh, I'll usually do a set of like three or four exercises and I call it a round. Okay. And that round of exercises takes me about a, a minute and a half usually. And I give myself one minute rest and then I go and I do it again. And then I usually do it six times. And then, um, between a warm up and a cool down, I'm usually done with my workout in about 20, 25 minutes or so. And I like it super efficient. I love it, but there are plenty of days when I just do not want to get through it. Um, and I have to like break it down and be like, okay, my three minute warm up got through my three minute warm up, my six rounds. I, I break it up into thirds. I'm like, okay, one set of two is down. Um, I get done with number three. I'm like, hey, I'm I'm I'm, I'm past the fifty yard line now. And so I'll play all these mental games with myself to get to the final goal. Okay, and I do it with other things in my life, but that's just a, a quick example off the top of my head. Um, but I do believe that this practice has a place in that first year of grief. If you can stack gains or just maybe positives or just movement towards something um, in life, you, you know, you tend to want, you can appreciate things as you accomplish them. You, the, the big goal doesn't seem so big and ugly. Um, but the tricky part here is that I did say expect nothing, right? Um, but this also, this is also why I had that one A in there of like, you know, keeping a schedule and stuff like that. And this, again, this is Brian talking <laughs> to to Brian in the first year. Um, I think that if there is a way to really shed the big expectations and to make goals small, it can be, you know, sometimes... For me, in that first year, I think um, it was hard to really set any goals, but I did, in hindsight, I was able to realize that, you know, I was just getting through periods of time, and those were big accomplishments, and finding ways to enjoy, you know, when those things did come up where I, you know, could enjoy some time with my wife and son, if we could laugh about something or smile about something, those are, those are things to stack up. And even though the goal may be very hard to define in that first year, if the goal is really simply getting through the first year, I think that's a very um, achievable and a very logical goal. Um, then it, you can kind of use this notion of like, okay, I'm I'm through the first year. I'm through another first, right? A first, um, you know, whatever, you know, they say like first birthday without her and all this stuff. I did find that after I got through that muck of maybe the first three to six months, that there were things to look forward to. Um, 
I remember we lived in an area where we were near a lot of like hiking and trails and biking areas and things like that. And my son had a mountain bike and uh, we did have outings where we would just go out into the, these desert areas. I live in the desert Southwest. We did things like we volunteered in an animal shelter and in memory of her. We also did some really painful stuff. We went through her room and that was, you want to talk about a process that was uh, going through her things was, that was absolutely brutal. I mean, we, we did that in sips. I mean, <laughs> I think we, we set aside, okay, an hour, we're just going to sit here and uh, we might just sit in here and cry or we might touch something or we might, you know, take something, you know, out of here that we want to keep with us forever. We, we might do absolutely nothing. I don't know. I can remember one of the first times I absolutely belted out the most borderline uh, close to death, near death experience feeling type of cries in the middle of one of my morning runs. I had to stop. I, I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack. And, and oddly, this was not like a week after she died or anything like that. This was like six or seven months after and there was every time I'd walk into a, a Walmart or a Target and I'd see, you know, a dad holding his his little girl's hand and I'd just have to turn around and go back. There was the f- folder full of her photos that still sits on my desktop and how my hand would shake on the mouse because I couldn't even open it. Then there were times I remember we would talk, <clears throat> we would take time to actually share a story, to talk share stories about golly in our lives. And I can, I can remember I, I was coaching her little soccer team and she was just oh, five, six years old or something like that. And just exposing her to sports and her brother was really into sports and she absolutely was not. And so she couldn't wait for the season to end. And I can remember like one of the last games, she, she took the ball, tore down the field, scored a goal, came back to me, goes, okay, can we go home now? And, um, you know, there there were times I could remember my wife tried this silly little strategy of like when she was misbehaving, she was say, "Young, I'm going to take a dollar out of your piggy bank every time." And then <laughs> one time she did it, and then you uh, said, "My it was she." I think my wife put her in timeout or something like that, and so um, she came back and she said, "Yeah, mom, I'm done. I know what I did wrong." And she was uh, she hands my mom hands my wife a twenty dollar bill and said, "Just keep the change. You're going to need it." So, uh, you know, she was a real, um, just a real spirit. A real, <laughs> she was a she was a lot of fun. And the thing is, and why I'm you know I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent there, but why I bring that up is that there, it's this collection of these traumas and also remembering these joys as well and. Part of the reason that first year is so confusing, and we keep coming back to that word, I think, in so many of these grief conversations, is that it, it is literally a collision of all of this kind of good and bad and and all of this. And then, then if you have outside sources coming in and sharing their opinion, I mean, it is it can be a, an absolute roller coaster affair in that first year. And But when it's all said and done, back to these sort of stackable gains and how we break down things for for you break break down goals into smaller units, if you will. I I think if the goal is just getting through the first year, and again, this is me talking to you know Brian seven years ago. um, One thing I know is that after all of those experiences in that first year, um, 
all of those ups and downs and those those kind of good and bad, that helps to shape what can be real goals in the future. It may not be a real goal in year two, in real year three. I, for me, again, it was kind of three years before I felt like I was really fully out of a fog. Um, and, and I do often reference it this way that year two can kind of be fool's gold or a sophomore slump where sometimes you're kind of going, okay, this is worse than the first year. But um, you are, I, I think as a human being, you are better. That's just my opinion. But um, but the thing is that if you can look at that first year as being a bunch of experiences stacked on one another to the to just getting to the end of it, I believe that after that, you can kind of sift through and create real goals. And that just because an experience is bad, just because you know, you're still having that that fear or you're having that guilt moment or you're having that whatever issue, quote unquote, or you're having crappy counselor sessions and they're just not working, or, you know, you have this friend that you just can't turn off that, that sucks and you have, you know, whatever, or, you know, and it's hard to remember maybe those good experiences. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not, I'm not saying look at the bright side, but I'm just saying, look at all those experiences together. If you can stack them on top of one another, you get to the end of that year and then you can create something real, a real goal, real goals that, that you can achieve and in, in terms of how, how you want to move forward, whether you're finding your purpose uh, after that first year or, or you're, you know, still muddling through or whatever. Um, but again, so just kind of a quick little recap. Number one is, um, you know, expect nothing. And um, you, it's number two, I guess we'll just jump to that one. Then, um, you know, what others say and do may mean maybe everything and nothing. And that's, that is really, I think, part of your one in a big, big way. And the more I recognized my place and how kind of how I digested those experiences and, and how I took them in, um, and was able to kind of stay away from real hot button things, um, the, the better things were for me. And again, number three, if I am talking to Brian in that first year, I would say, um, that whole concept of breaking down goals into smaller units applies here, even though the goal is probably just to get through the end of the year. Um, all of those experiences that you're going through are, they are, they are something. Um, and attaching a label to them, good, bad, is probably not the most important thing right now. And sure, there may be some situations and people you may have to learn to dodge in that first year, and that's fine. Um, and there may be some, you know, incredible joys, who knows. Uh, but they're, they all matter and they all don't, and they're all there. But after that year, um, you will have something to, par- you know, to, to kind of sift through and create your future. This has been Brian on the B-Side. Thanks for listening today. We'll catch you next time.